Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. going to go to Revelation chapter 12. We're just going to kind of huddle around this verse for a few weeks and see what God will do with it. And I know that he's going to help us. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number, well, let's begin at verse 10 and do 11. 11 is the anchor verse for this series. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation. How many know when the Lord says salvation's come to you, nothing can stop it from happening? Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's speaking about Satan right there. And then verse 11 and they overcame, everyone say overcame, him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. I wanna focus on that section. If you wanna put parentheses around it, the part that it says, and they overcame him, the enemy, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Turn to your neighbor and said, it's his glory and it's my story. Amen. Come on now. We're going to talk a little bit about how to live an overcoming life because of God's glory and because of the story he gave us. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your power. We're glad you're here. Help me to get through this sermon with a little bit of, um, little get myself out of the way and a whole lot of Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Someone said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I want to focus on the story of Joseph. And um, the story of Joseph has so many great overcoming areas that he just seemed to keep taking hits. Anybody been in a moment in life where the hits just kept coming? Anybody honest in here? Um, where they just kept on piling up and you thought you were a dreamer, but it seems like all you were was defeated. Anybody been there? And you, you read the story of Joseph and you think, I don't know if, if you remember the full story of Joseph's life, but you seem to think that this dreamer is going to have a, pri a bright and promising future. And it seems that he goes from dreamer to defeated all too often and he just keeps on getting knocked down but the beauty of the story is that there is an overcomer inside of all of us amen the story is not just about his life but the story applies as a unilateral success story to anyone who's willing to dream a little amen and maybe your dreams have been dashed way too often. Maybe you've been through way too much and you just don't feel like dreams still come true. I'm here to tell you, Joseph is the one story written in the word of God to remind us that dreams do come true. Yeah. 
as long as we leave our life in the hands of the Lord. Amen? If you take your life out of the hands of the Lord, you will not become the dreamer. You will not see the dreams that God wants you to see. But whenever you live for the Lord, everything that's over you will be put underneath you. I promise you that because I'm telling the story of my life as well. I, I always loved the story of uh, Joseph, and I always shortened it to Joe because that's part of my name. And so I would just kind of shorten it down, and I would talk. I would look at all the aspects of his life and try to apply them to my life because I wanted to be the dreamer that was deliver that became the deliverer. Amen. The one that helped people get out of the struggles that he once went through. And so while I'm standing here today, I may have put on a suit this morning, but there were times where I didn't know if I could even make it. There were times where I had dreams in my head and destruction in my life, and I had to keep on trusting the Lord that somehow He was going to make away from me. Anybody ever been there? Amen. And so I'm telling you today that I have overcome not by my own power or by my own strength, but by the supernatural power that Jesus has put inside me because he went to our cross. Amen. Because he died on that cross. And so by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I am saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, happy in Jesus name, living out a life that may not have all the circumstances aligned yet, but I'm still thankful that God has it all in his hands. Amen? Amen? And so I don't have to know every outcome. I don't have to know every, every single end point with that because I know the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I'm thankful for the story, even though I have not seen all of my story yet. I'm going to come out delivered. How about you? I'm going to come out set free. And so as I celebrate Revelations 12, it's one of my favorite story, one of my favorite verses in the scripture that they shall overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I, I often think of the different points in Joseph's life. You know the story. He has a dream. His brothers hate him for the dream. If you've read the story, I'm only going to paraphrase today. And so he has a dream of his um, of his sheaves and everything bowing down or, or standing up and his brothers and his uh, bowing down. And then he sees a dream of the stars of the heavens, which represents his parents bowing down. And then they're all, ex they're all very upset with these dreams. And of course, dreamers are not very accepted. Oftentimes when you tell people your dreams, you need to be careful who you tell your dreams to. Amen. And so when he's telling his dreams, they get very upset. And it's just one more thing on top of the pile of things that his brothers don't like about him because he was his dad's favorite son and so they 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 hatch this plan where they're going to kill him and take his coat and and dip it in uh, an animal's blood and bring it to their father and they're going to tell him that he was uh, attacked by an animal but there's this one guy who's really good at making sandwiches and his name his the older brother his name is Reuben you can still get a Reuben today you were you were drifting off I had to pull you back in and so Reuben decides he's going to not, he tells his brother, let's not kill him, but let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and they'll take him where they're going to take him. And so they sold their brother, pulled him out of the pit. Amen. You know what pit stands for? It's just Pentecostal in training. Amen. Prophet in training. That's what that stands for. And so he was in the pit, but he wasn't there because he, done, he had done something wrong. He was there because he had dreams in his life. He had hopes in his life and he had haters. Amen, somebody. You're going to have haters no matter what you do. You're going to have haters. 
haters if you don't do anything. You're going to have haters if you've got dreams that you're reaching for. How many have goals in this place? Amen. Don't worry about the haters. God will use the haters to get you where God wants you to be. Oh, that's good preaching, even though I got three, yeah, three amens. That's all right. Guess what I love about, what I love about Joseph is this, is that he gave his best regardless of his circumstances. He gave his best. And now you can say it's, it's that person's fault or I'm here in the situation because of what somebody else has done for me. I don't know what situation you're in right now, but if you give your best in that situation, God will get the glory in that situation because they'll be like, why are are you giving all of yourself? Why are you doing your best? You have everything stacked against you. You have all the chips stacked against you, and yet you come to work with a smile. You put yourself together. You put a suit on, and you stand there and say, by the grace of God, I'm here, and by the grace of God, I'm still going to be here. Haters are going to come, and haters are going to go, and I'll still be here lifting my hands and worshiping the Lord. Amen. I'm still going to be serving him. I'm not going to let my circumstance determine my dedication, amen? I'm not going to let my circumstance determine how much I give of myself. He gave everything for me. He gave everything for me. He deserves me to give my best. The cross looked like defeat, but he gave his all, amen? And even when it looks like defeat, I'm going to give everything I've got to it because I understand that he's the one that determines my outcome. Amen, somebody. And so Joseph's success was given to him because of the Lord's favor, not just because he did his best, but when he did his best, this is the lesson, when you do your best, God will put his favor on it. When you're walking with God and you do your best, God will put his favor on it. And so Genesis 39, 1 through 6, we see the story where God is helping him. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. He's sold by his brothers, brought into Egypt by the Ishmaelites. And then he's bought by one of Pharaoh's officers, a captain in the Pharaoh's guard. His name was Potiphar, which had bought him, which had brought him down thither. Next verse, and the Lord was with Joseph. Everyone say, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. One translation says he was a successful man. When you have the Lord with you, no matter what it looks like, you will have success. That's right, Brother Rob. You will have success when the Lord is with you. He's sitting out there with his baby, but he's still watching the preaching. <laughs> Love that man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, Go to the next verse. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Amen. How many know that others will see that the Lord's with you? And that the Lord made him all, or sorry, that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. And Joseph found grace in, the, in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over half of his house, over some of his house, over his house, and all that he had, he put into his hands. Joseph was trustworthy. Everybody say trustworthy. 
He wasn't out to get greed. He wasn't greedy. He wasn't out to get his best. He was out to do his best. There's a difference in getting your best in a situation and doing your best in a situation. God will give you the best out of a situation even if it doesn't look like it. Oh, <laughs> can I take a moment? I, oh, I don't know how I'm going to put this into a story. My boss came to me and said, I'm going to give you a van. I'm going to put a van in your hands, and you can drive it. You can use it. You can put gas in it, all that stuff. And then about three months later, one of the departments sucked up that van and used it for something else, and it wasn't able to be given to me. And I was like, that's fine. I, you know, I don't care. God can provide. I'm not looking for my best. I'm looking for God's best. And then I lost my job. Then I changed jobs. And then when I got into my new job, my boss came up to me and said, here, you can take the Yukon home, fill it with gas, do whatever you want with it. $68,000 Yukon. You think God doesn't know what he's doing? If God promises you something, he'll give it to, some, to you through somebody else if you keep your best, if you keep his best in mind, not your best. Amen? So I don't, I, I'm not saying that you need to have a nice car to have God's best. I'm saying God will do it if you just keep your attitude right. And so what's happening here in the story is he's just keeping the house of his, uh, of his master. And then the next verse, it says, and it came to pass from the time that he was made, uh, that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Everyone say for Joseph's sake. Because he was living right and doing right, God blessed the house of, of an Egyptian. Egypt is the type of the world, amen? So God blessed the worldly house because of a godly man in the worldly house. Anybody know you're not of this world, you're in this world, but not of it, amen? How many know that when God blesses your boss, he might be blessing him because you're living righteous, Amen? That's all right. That's good preaching. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in, and in the field. Next verse. And he, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not. Pot, Potiphar knew not aught he had. He, knew, he didn't know what he had because he trusted Joseph so much. That's how you live an overcoming life, my friend where you do so good and you live so righteous and you do your best before God in, in the circumstances to the point where people entrust you so much that they don't even ask you how much they have or what's, what the books look like because you're taking care of it. Amen? Uh, that's, that's for somebody, I know. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Everyone say, I want the favor of the Lord. So the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was in his life, and the Lord was willing to give him blessing because he gave his best regardless of the circumstances. And so he did what God, he did what God wanted him to do. Here's a point. You can write it down if you want to. In questionable circumstances, Joseph did not question God. In questionable circumstances, do not question God the power of God to fulfill what he's promised you. Amen? That's one of my favorite lines, I know. But trust me, as I'm preaching, I will guarantee you that there are other men in the Bible that did not have, that had as much happen to them as Joseph did, and yet they questioned God. Let's talk to Job for a minute. Remember Job? He began to question God. He spends several books just questioning God. What about Jeremiah? In Jeremiah 12, 
1 through 5, where the people felt dejected. They felt like they were not seeing victory. And yet in these scriptures, they asked Jeremiah to go to God, and he asked God these questions. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. He's saying, whenever I make my case with thee, Lord, you make right judgments, is what he said. Yet let me talk with thee about thy judgments. Yet let me have a conversation with you about the decisions you've been making lately, is what he's saying. I'm not too sure that I'm comfortable with the decisions you've been making lately, Lord. So I need to have a discussion with you. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? He's saying, wherefore are all they are all they happy that deal very treacherously? He's like, why is it that they don't get up early and go to church, but yet they're prospering? Why is it they're waxing their car, and yet I'm hoping my hoopty starts and gets me to church? Amen. Why is it that they seem to be blessed and yet here I am paying my tithes and giving offerings and yet I'm still trying to meet the bills after a long month and a short paycheck? Why is it that I'm seeing the difficult places? That's what they were at. They're like, where are you, Lord? Why are the wicked prospering? And he goes on to say even more questions. Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth, but far from their reins, or far from their heart is what he said. Hear me carefully. What he's saying there is that even though they are wicked, God is the one that gives them the mercy to have what they have. That's what he's saying. That even those that are planted and have no thought of God, have no life in God, it is only by the mercies of God that they are not consumed is what he's saying. They are planted. They, God has allowed them to be planted, to grow, and to bring forth fruit. That is God allowing them to do that. But he's also saying in that previous verse, if you'll go back with me, He's also saying that they have their mouths, that they are near thee with their mouth, but their heart is far from thee. How many know people in church that can talk the church lingo, but when they get out of church, their heart is far from God? Anybody ever met somebody like that where they can, they know when to say amen, they know when to quote a Bible verse, but when they get out into the world, there's that switch, and all of a sudden they're cussing with their friends or they're doing what their friends are doing. He's saying, this is what they're like. They know, they know how to do some things. There are, there are those that know how to use their mouth to say things toward God. They're near to God with their mouth, but their heart is far from him. You cannot have a life that is blessed by God. You cannot have, let me preach as a pastor for a minute. Go ahead, pastor, preach. It's all right. If you have a heart that is not toward God, you can give him lip service all you want to. You can say you love him all you want to, but you have to get to a point where you get in the word of God and where you start walking with God and where you start designing your habits and your heart to where it, it follows the Lord. Amen somebody. There's been a whole series on that because your habits determines what your heart falls in love with and what your heart loves has to be right with God. And you have to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. We know that. So what he's asking him is all these things. And then he goes on and says something that's, next verse, that's completely not good doctrine. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. He said, you know me, Lord. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. He's saying, Lord, kill them. <laughs> That's really not good theology. In fact, it's really bad theology. 
And so he's like, how long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell there? He's like, how long will our crops be destroyed? How long will we have things happen that are, are against us because of the wicked? And, and there's, there's two theological thoughts on this passage of scripture. But I want you to know that if you were honest, there might be some people where you might pray a prayer, Lord, just take them out. <laughs> have you ever been there? Lord, I don't need the stress. I don't need the worry. Just Lord, take. if you've ever been there, you're right where Jeremiah was. He's like, I don't need this stress in my life. And he's like, Lord, all of our troubles are coming from the wicked. And he said, the beasts are consumed and the birds, because they said, he shall not see our last end. If thou hast run with the footman, and that's where I want to go, that's where I'm going next, is that whenever you have bad circumstances, you keep giving your best, Amen. I'm on that one point. I'll get to, to the other two, and then we'll be done. But whenever you give your best, even in bad circumstances, you can look at the wicked and think, why are they prospering and I'm not? And that's, that's where Joseph could have gone, but he kept his attitude right. And even others in the Scripture, as I'm showing you Jeremiah, even others in the Scripture did not keep their thoughts from going that way. But whenever Jeremiah asked those questions, he said, we are destroyed because of the wicked. And the truth of the matter is, that is one school of theology, that wicked people bring the judgment of God on the earth. That's one school of theology. The other school of theology for this particular passage of Scripture is that the righteous not being righteous are what brings judgment upon the earth. And so what you have to understand is some people will get up whenever a tornado hits a certain place on the western coast or, the, or something happens as an earthquake on the, uh, I mean, on the, on, you know what I mean, one on the western coast, one on the eastern coast. On the western coast, if it's hit by an earthquake, somebody will stand up and say, it's the judgment of God because of wickedness in California or wherever else. And another a tornado or a hurricane will hit Florida and someone will stand up and say, it's the judgment of God because of the wickedness of those in Miami or wherever. You know, I'm just using random statements at the moment. And then there's an understanding from scripture that if you go back through every story, you see that they're not concerned in the scripture about how wicked the wicked were because wicked don't really choose how wicked they're going to be. They're just wicked. Sinners going to be sinners. Amen. I'm trying. I'll get you there. But the righteous who say they're righteous and their heart is far from God is when God has a problem. That's when God says, where are the righteous that say they walk with me? Where are the righteous that say they want to be holy? Where are the righteous that want to pray and be intercessors for the nation and for the people? If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? Turn from their way. That's repentance. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It's sounds to me like God is more interested in what the righteous are saying than what the wicked are doing. He'll let them have mercy and live their life. He'll hopefully give them the chance to turn to God, but the righteous better be in the word of God. The righteous better be praising at the house of God. The righteous better be giving God their best, no matter the circumstance. The righteous better be walking with God. 
Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed not because of just the wickedness. That's one school of theology. The other school of theology is the prayers that came for the city. If I could find 50 righteous, will you not destroy it? If I could find 30, 20, if I could just find 10, right? If he had found 10 righteous, Sodom and Gomorrah would still be on the map. It's because of the righteous, not living righteous. And so if we will live an overcoming life in righteousness with God, others will see it and see the glory of God through our life. And then they will ask the question, what do you have that I don't have? I've been living my life. I got a nice car and I got a good job, but I'm not satisfied in here. And they're going to see you with bad circumstances, difficult struggle, struggles, difficult problems, but you just keep on keeping on. You just keep on doing your thing. You keep on praying. Keep on seeing and God keep on having victory where there should be no victory keep on having wins where others can't get a win amen somebody and they're gonna go what do you have that I don't and then you can share the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ with him kept the best and so then God decides to answer him he said if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee that how canst thou contend with horses? I just want to stop at that section of scripture because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Okay, you're running with footmen and they made you tired. And now you're going to run with horses. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like, giddy up. Okay, let's figure this out. Footmen in the armies of those days were sent in expendable. What they would do is when one kingdom came against another kingdom, they would set their battle in array and they would put all of their footmen out front. And when they began to fight over territory or land, they would send the footmen in first because what the idea was, the footmen were more expendable than the horsemen. And so they would send the footmen in to fight, to thin out the armies of the enemy. The only goal was to thin out the other army so that the horsemen could come in and then dominate. That was the idea. And what the scripture is telling us, I've had several preach, you know, of course, this is, seems to be an apocalyptic scripture. Others say this is post-rapture, uh, pre-rapture, post-rapture, pre-rapture. If you can't keep up with the footmen pre-rapture, when the church is taken out, you'll not keep up with the horsemen. I've heard that preached too. But what I feel like is happening is because Jeremiah is asking God a question about their situation and why the wicked are prospering and they're not. And God responds with this. He says, I'm going to liken it to footmen. He said, the footmen have come in and attacked you. And you have been wearied. He said, but there are going to be horsemen coming next. So that's really encouraging, Pastor. That's great to hear. The footmen are bills you can't pay. The footmen are health situations. The footmen is sicknesses in your body. The footmen are struggles in your relationships. The footmen are, are inter, interconnected problems at work or on the job. Those are all just footmen, and they wear you down. Amen? They wear you out. And so he's like, this is an encouraging word from the Lord. I'm weary, and the Lord says, there's still horsemen coming. 
But what he's trying to say is that with me, you'll still win. Amen. I may let my people go into bondage, but I'm going to bring them back out of it. I'm the God who can let things happen, and I'm the God who can turn things around. Amen, somebody. And so if it's ever happened to you, I don't know what situations you've been through, but I can tell you, I have been in the fight with the footmen. I know what it's like to walk through a discouraging day. I know what it's like to walk to the pulpit of a starting church where only 10 people show up and say, I'm going to give it my best, even if it looks like we're not growing, even if people come and even if people go, I have fought the footmen. Men. Amen, somebody. So I have a right to share my story because it's his blood that gives me the victory and my story, that's my testimony that gives me the victory. And I'll tell you, I should not be where I am, but I am. I walk with God, yes, but it's not just that I know all the right things to do and all the good things to do. There are things that I miss. There are moments when I can say the right thing and I don't, and God gives me grace for that. Amen. But I can promise you this. I have been in the battle. I know what it's like to be scarred. I know what it's like to make myself heal from unforgiveness. I know what it's like to force myself to heal from bitternesses. I know what it's like to walk through that stuff. And so can I tell you that I'm not supposed to be here but by the supernatural strength of the Holy Ghost, we are here. You're here. I'm here. We're still here. Amen. Oh, I get excited and I'll yell today because I am excited. So yes, we fought the footmen. But the Lord told me last week, let revival happen. So here come the horsemen. But the supernatural strength of God is going to get us through the struggles of the horsemen. Amen. Okay. Um, Maybe you missed that part. Let me help you. I've been wearied by the battles of the footmen, but here come the horsemen, and I'm running with the horsemen. I'm still going to be running. I've been running with the footmen, and now I'm going to run with... Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I've never been to cemetery. I'm, yeah, I've been to a cemetery. Sorry. <laughs> Funeral director joke, I guess. It just came out. It's easier to say cemetery than seminary. It just came out. I'm a licensed funeral director, so that's a word I say all the time. Help me, Jesus. I've never been to seminary. I have people that sit in this congregation with more degrees than I do. I'm pastoring a church on an applied science degree. I'm applying science. That's what I'm doing. I've never been to a seminary. I've never been to places other people have gone. I had my name go up for youth president. Didn't get it. I had things happen that I never could say that, that, that I, I couldn't even put myself in, but I was just running with the horsemen. I was feeling the supernatural strength of God. Two weeks ago, I got invited to the White House for a faith briefing. I didn't get a chance to go because we're still running on a budget. Amen, somebody? But there is still the chance that I'm going to get to go. And guess what? There's this little guy somewhere in Brookfield that has fought the footmen, and now I'm about to fight the horsemen, and the supernatural strength of God is coming on me, and it's going to come on you. It's, you're going to feel it. You're going to step into your next victory. God's going to do what he wants to do with you if you give your best in the circumstances. Shouldn't be here, but I am still running. Still, just keep on, sister. Just still running. And that's what some of you are doing. You feel like you've been running, and God hasn't shown up yet, but he's coming. 
He's going to show up supernaturally. And as hard as the weary, and as weary as you are in the fight with the footmen, he's going to show up supernatural with supernatural strength for your horsemen. Amen? That's what I believe God was saying. Amen. So back to, back to Joseph. We, we killed that bunny. Now back to Joseph. He did not reject God. He did not reject or get a bad attitude against the agents of his struggle. He did not get upset at Potiphar or Mrs. Pot. <laughs> Some of you got that joke. Mrs. Pot. Okay. All right. Mrs. Potiphar got an eye for Joseph. She thought he was pretty hot. He's good looking. He's the man. He's running the whole house. And before you get uncomfortable, understand this, that Joseph was a good man too. He wasn't just attractive. He was a good man. And when she made a play for him, he ran away. I know some men won't do that. She said, sleep with me, and he ran away. Hello, somebody. It's good to be righteous. He was a righteous man, and he left his coat behind just because she got a hold of it doesn't mean he has to stay. Amen, somebody. He left his coat there and ran out, and his wife went to Potiphar and said, he tried to rape me, and they put him in prison. And when he was in prison, he met Pharaoh's butler and baker. Amen? And he told them their dreams. And when he told them their dreams, he said, don't forget your boy. And two years later, they had forgotten their boy. They forgot that he hooked them up with an interpretation of their dream. But then when Pharaoh had a dream, the, the butler said, oh, I remember somebody that told me that in two days I was going to be lifted up and I'd be caring for your cup again. And so I, I can tell you a man that can interpret dreams. He told him his name was Joseph and he was in Pharaoh's prison. How did he get in Pharaoh's prison? Because he, he was a prisoner of Potiphar. Potiphar would have sent his prisoners to Pharaoh's prison. So the only way that he met his next victory was by going down to where he would not have been had he not been sold to Potiphar. Amen, somebody. So he did not get angry at those who were part of the process, even though it seemed like they were against him. If you keep a good attitude, God will use those that are against you to bring you up. Amen. Joseph did not push them away, but he called them close. Amen. He called them close. He, he learned how to work with them. He had favor in the prison. He had favor, and God used all that favor to bring him to the palace. Amen, somebody. And so I know that there are some people in here that are more educated and need maybe some other applications in a sermon. So I pulled up this study, and this study tells us that in when you're looking at the way that Job respond, or Joseph responded, he responded by, by getting close to those that were around him. Genesis 45 and 4 gives you the attitude of, of Joseph. It says, it says this, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Now his brethren have come to Egypt to get food because there's a famine in the land. He says, Come near to me. How many would say, Come near to me after your brothers tried to kill you, sold you into Egypt, and lied on you to your dad. Anybody? Anybody here? Anybody say, oh yeah, come on in. You're my friend. No. 
you would be doing the same thing every human being would naturally do, and that is you'd be stiff-arming. You'd, you'd be like, keep them away. And he did speak to them through an interpreter at first, but when he realized who they were, he, was broke, he broke down and began to cry, and he said, come near to me. He drew them in. Even though they hurt him, he drew them near to him. Even though they said things against him, did things against him, and even wanted to kill him, he said, come near to me. And that is the way that you have an overcoming life. You will not have an overcoming life if you keep responding to people the same way that they are responding to you. If they yell at you and you yell back, you are not showing the grace of God. I know, I work on it too. We all work on it. If they cut you off on the way to work and you have a problem with it, just say, bless the Lord and use all your Christian language that you can use to deal with your anger. But do not, do not respond to them by shooting around them and cutting them off. There is not a place in the scripture that I have to give you for road rage, but I'm pretty sure that that chariot stuff in the Old Testament, there was some road rage in there. I'm sure there was some horse and chariot rage. That's what it was. And Jesus came and delivered us from all that, okay? But what they did is they studied the different lives of 75 724 different men and this study just came out and they did it for 75 years and people that draw others close to them and have the ability to forgive others have a healthier more emotionally stable and longer life and have better memory in their old age i'll read it to you this is this is the study that i i wanted to pull up in this sermon give me just a few more minutes for 75 years they tracked 724 men about 60 of the original 724 men are still alive today all of those were teenagers when they interviewed them. They went to their house and they interviewed them and their parents. They also did a medical exam. Sorry, I just lost it because I'm trying to pull this off my pictures. Um, and so then they gave them a medical exam. And those, out of those men, they entered all, all kinds of different walks of life. They became factory workers, they became lawyers, they became bricklayers, they became doctors, and one president of the United States out of 724 men. The clearest message that they got from the 75-year study is this. Number one, good relationships keep us healthier and happier. Good relationships. We've learned three big lessons, they said. The first is that social connections are really good for us and that loneliness kills Loneliness kills. It's a killer. It turns out the people who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community, everybody say community. That includes your faith community, are happier. They're physically healthier and they live longer than people who are less well connected. And the sad fact is that at any given point in time, more than one in five Americans have reported that they're lonely because you can be a crowded, in a crowded room and still feel lonely, amen? That's why the Holy Ghost came, 
to handle loneliness. We didn't feel loneliness till we sinned in the garden. We always felt connected to God. Loneliness is not your husband's condition. Loneliness is not your wife's responsibility. You have loneliness because you were separated from God at the fall, and the Holy Ghost is the only comforter that can answer loneliness. In other words, when you feel lonely, you're a prayer away from not feeling lonely anymore. Oh, that's so good, Pastor. <laughs> I, I preach to myself. I encourage myself in the Lord. And we know that you can be lonely in a crowd. I already said that. So the second big lesson that we learned from this study is that it's not just the number of friends you have. It is not, it is, and it's not whether or not you're in a committed relationship, but it is the quality of your close relationships that matter. It's the quality Everybody say quality, not quantity. It turns out that living in the midst of conflict is really bad for your health. Did anybody already know this? Everybody knew this? High conflict marriages and other relationships, for example, are without, uh, without much affection, turn out to be very bad for our health. Perhaps worse than getting a divorce, he, the study said. And living in the midst of good, warm relationships is protective. And the third big lesson that they learned in this 75-year study is that good relationships don't just protect our bodies. It turns out that being in a securely attached relationship to another person in your 80s is protective for your health. That the people who are in relationships where they really feel that they can count on the other person in times of need, those people's memories stay sharper longer. Hello, somebody. Replacing screen time with people time matters. If you want to live an overcoming life, put the screen down and pick up your relationships that have gone cold. Amen? Call somebody. Tell them you love them. Or living up this is another way that you can revitalize or have an overcoming relationship. Living up, uh, I'm sorry, or, live, or livening up a stale relationship by doing something new together is what the relationship expert says here. Do a long walk if you're single. Go on date nights. Anybody have a date night? Amen. If you have a date night or if you go on long walks, sit, sit and watch the sunset. Reaching out to family members that are distant. Those things can help you in creating an overcoming life because you have the health and the mind and the memory to do what God has called you to do. It takes you to another level. Amen, somebody. Somebody you haven't spoken to even in years. What we need to do is you need to go home today. No, no. Actually, what you need to do is get in the car today and you need to call some of your haters and thank them for the fact that they got you fired and thank them for the fact that they got you in places where you didn't think you were going to go because it's those people who actually set you up for your next victory because you might be in Pharaoh's prison right now, but in Pharaoh's prison is Pharaoh's prisoners and Pharaoh's prisoners went before Pharaoh and Pharaoh had a dream which brought Joseph out of the prison house and put him in the palace. Oh my goodness, can I preach about an overcoming life so we can finish this long extended dynamic sermon? He realized that God was the greater purpose which empower him to live an overcoming life. Genesis 45, 5-8 is my proof text for that point. Even every defeat that he has was a setup for his next miracle. Amen? 
It was a setup. It looked like he was falling back on his face, but it was just a setup for his next victory. Can I help you with this? Joseph got to Potiphar and became the second in charge. That means they put him in the second chariot behind Pharaoh. There were two black limousines. He was in the second black limousine, rolling and shining and dripping and blinging. Sorry. Sorry. If you're under 40, you didn't understand any of that. He was put in charge of all of Pharaoh's house and all of Pharaoh's doings. He actually knew how to save up so that when his brothers came and they stood before him, he was the redeemer. He was able to deliver them because God had put him in a place and he told them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you tried to do was not against me. I don't hate you for it. In fact, come near and let me hold you you are my family whatever you have done to me I forgive you because God meant it for good and because Joseph did not get a bad attitude he was the posterity of his family and we have Jesus Christ because Joseph went to Egypt because Joseph fought through the footmen and the horsemen and came out living for God we have Jesus Christ in our heritage and a cross that was born for our sins because without Joseph, there would have been no Israel. Without Israel, there would have been no heritage and without the heritage, there would have been no Jesus Christ born. So we know that he was an overcomer that gave us our overcoming, amen? And so we see that in Revelation 21.7, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that he that overcometh it says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. He's promising that if you overcome it, if you don't look at it as just another fight, it's just another difficult situation, but you look at it as this might be a setback in my eyes, but it's actually a setup in God's eyes, amen? That God's in control, and it's going to come to good, amen, somebody? And so Joseph kept his emotional mind he kept himself physically strong he kept his mental health strong and he kept his relationships close and that's how he lived an overcoming life you've got to forgive those that hurt you or you cannot live an overcoming life you've got to overcome everything and God said I'll make you my son I'll make you my child amen somebody let's stand together he did not get upset he did not change his mind about God. He kept on living for the Lord. And every defeat, every defeat brought him to his overcoming life. I'm so excited about that because it wasn't just Joseph securing us a savior through the heritage. It was Joseph who was selected by God before he was born to be where he went. Amen. Do you understand what I mean? Because he was in the palace, because he was in Pharaoh's prison, and he was in Pharaoh's prison because he was lied on, and he was lied on because he was attractive, he was doing a good job, amen? He went in prison because he was doing the right things. And then he was lied on 
and he was sold to Potiphar's house. So that's how he got lied on and got into prison. But then he was sold to Potiphar's house because he was drugged to Egypt by the Israelite by the Ishmaelites, and he was drugged to Israel or to Egypt by the Ishmaelites because his brothers sold him into slavery, and his his brothers sold him into slavery because they didn't want to, they decided they wouldn't kill him, which is the better of two, right? I, I don't know, but he 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 was going to be murdered, but then he got sold into slavery, but then he wasn't murdered. So then, if you look at him, he's in the pit, and then now he doesn't have everything he used to have, but but they hated him because he was his father's favorite child, and he was his father's favorite child because he was born to his father's favorite wife, and he was his father's favorite child born to his father's favorite wife because God had placed him to be there at that time, at that moment, and his overcoming life was designed by God before he was born, and I come to tell you that Jeremiah had another passage, and it said, before I was born, God knew me before I was shaped and formed in my mother's womb. God ordained me. And you are ordained. Your life is ordained. Your goals are ordained. God has a plan for you. And it was set before you were born. And right now, you're just living it out. And if you reach for an overcoming life, he will give it to you because that is his plans toward you. Amen, somebody. I'm so grateful that I can preach this message to you because I want you to be encouraged. I want the Spirit of the Lord to take your loneliness away. I want God to reference everything in your life as a victory, a setup for your next victory. I want God to help you to categorize everything as not something that destroyed me, but something that brought my deliverer close to me. Amen. If you have your hands raised right now or you want to raise your hands, I understand what it's like to go through the battle. But if you'd lift your hands right now and you just begin to worship the Lord, I believe he's going to reach down from heaven and he's going to grab your hand and he's going to pull you up from the pit you've been in, from the places that you've gone through. I believe you're just one prayer away from the palace. That's what I believe. I believe some somebody here is stepping out of their situation right now, that there is going to be a new day dawn and there's going to be new light shed and there's going to be new hope offered. And in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that they've been running with the footmen. They are running with the horsemen. I pray supernatural strength on somebody right now. I bind weariness in the name of Jesus. I bind anything that says it's diminishing and I release every overflow in the name of Jesus. I release every blessing in the name of Jesus. I release every overcoming power in the name of Jesus. I ask you, Lord, to use our story, to use the blood of the Lamb to cover our sins and use our story to bring others to you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, to stand up and say, I'm going to live and overcoming life through Christ Jesus. Nothing's going to take me out. Nothing's going to remove me from his presence. I want to keep my our heart right. I want to keep my mind right. Lord, help me to call somebody today and thank them. Call somebody today and be thankful for where I am right now. For you have saved me. You've delivered me. You brought me out and I'm going to walk above it all. Amen. In Jesus' name, if you're going to put what's above you underneath you today, in Jesus' name, I want you to just step side to side right now. They're going to begin singing, but I want you to put some stuff under your feet. Uh, metaphorically, spiritually, just put something under your feet and just walk side by side to say, it's under my feet. Just start praying that prayer. It's under my feet. And God, whatever has been overwhelming me, whatever been, has been on top of me, I'm walking on it in Jesus'